Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. Happy Thor's Day, Andy. Happy Thor's Day, everyone. Yay. Today, we're talking about Minute 24, which begins with Loki staring at his arm and ends with Volstagg shouting to run. <laughs> but of course, the end is cut off. So maybe he's shouting to remember. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, once again, we're joined by our guest, Cass Fredrickson from the Lord of the Rings Minute. Hello. Uh, in honor of Thor's Day, Cass, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off as you start to say hello to my greetings. That's okay. But, uh, in honor of Thor's Day, what is your favorite Thor moment from anywhere on screen? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> There's just a few. Ah. <sighs> Okay, so the very obvious one is that moment in Thor 3 where he lands on the Bifrost with all the lightning in his eyes. Um, and my more thirst-driven one is <laughs> from Avengers 2 where he's in that casual outfit with, like, the drinking coat or whatever, and he's just kind of mm -hmm. lounging. I think about that outfit way too many times, like, way too much. So uh, <laughs> I, I can understand that. It's such a good look. <laughs> I, I love being here and part of this podcast. I want to give a quick shout out to the MCU cast, which is a uh, the kind of flagship show of the other podcast network I do a lot with, StrandedPanda.com, because they have basically initiated what they refer to as ThirstCast. And with every property they get into, there's quite a lot of discussion of the uh, thirst value of various uh, male-presenting stars. Bless. So Something you might want to check out at some point. <laughs> we, we actually did on Superhero Ethics a great episode on the ethics of thirst and sort of like challenge... <laughs> Challenging patriarchal ideas by like challenging things. A lot of fun. Uh, Andy's giving me a death look. I'm going to stop doing my own <laughs> promos now and let us get into a promo for what you should really be thinking about all the great things happening here on the next reel. We have been putting our artwork for season four onto our merch over in our merch store. We've got that fantastic Bifrost look that wraps around mugs. We've got Matthew as Thor, me as Loki. You know, we're on shirts, we're on stickers, mugs, all sorts of things. Find out what you're looking for in our merch store. Just head to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on merch. Now, let's kind of dive more into Loki's revelation, because... I think Kenneth Branagh clearly had a, the, he knew people were going to do minute by minute analysis because we keep having <laughs> minutes end just as something big happens or just as someone's about to say something. And here, like, we talked about it already, but we really get the depth, I think, of Loki's revelation, especially because I certainly got the sense that the frost giant also knows something's up here. Mm -hmm. Do you think he does? Because I, I couldn't tell if, is he surprised that, that this is happening? Uh, I, I wasn't sure what to expect from that. It's it's I think it's both surprise and kind of uh, I don't know. It's like a deadpan surprise almost like he says so much <laughs> yeah. with his eyes. And it's really, really funny because he's just like, uh, that's not supposed to happen to you. <laughs> right. Uh, right. That's exactly the look he gets. He's like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. It, what, and Andy, is what you're saying that you're wondering if maybe all the Frost Giants know that Loki is the child that was stolen so many years ago? Oh, no, no. I, I was saying that I, I, I thought you were saying that, that he wasn't surprised because I feel like that he was surprised. Oh, yeah. No, I think he, 
I, I think he's definitely surprised. I'm wondering, like, does he know what that means, or is he just like, that's weird? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess this begs the question, right? Like, when Loki was taken, and this was back in the, um, you know, at the same, so a thousand-ish years ago, when Odin had defeated uh, Laufey, they had taken the Casket of Ancient Winters back to Asgard, and we'll find out later all of this about about Loki getting taken as a baby. You know, I, I don't know. I, there's not a whole lot there. Like, was the baby abandoned? Had Is it like, you know, the, the runt of the litter and they had kind of left it by the wayside and, and weren't doing anything with it? It was just going to die out in the wilderness. Was he taking it out of the crib that was right there, like by Laufey's right. bedside? Like, we just don't really know. And so, uh, you know, do all these frost giants know that Laufey's child had been taken by Odin. And, and I guess that's the question that we never really get an answer to. But I'm, I'm curious, like, with that look, is there a revelation there? Like, oh, my God, I have found the missing prince. I mean, is that kind of because <laughs> I mean, that's right. really what what would would be happening here. Right. And, and in fairness, he has just been stabbed twice. So that might also be affecting his like higher reasoning skills at the moment. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing to to think about. Uh especially because you're right, we never know what people know about Loki being taken from the Frost Giants. We also, and I think it's one of my frustrations in the movie, we never learn how Loki is actually communicating with the Frost Giants. Yeah. Mm. Both this time and then the second time he lets them in. So it's kind of, you know, because yeah, we wonder like when he went to approach them, like, did anyone figure it out then? It's kind of hard to know. Yeah. Uh, so after that, uh, Fandral now gets to have his kind of great moment. And, and this to me feels very Errol Flynn again, because he's, he's laughing and fighting and then his sword gets knocked away. And there's a good like second and a half or so of like genuine concern on his face. But then he comes up with a plan, you know, jumps through the giant's legs, grabs his sword, and he's back to happy laughing again. And that would be Fimbledragger you're talking about. <laughs> yes. Of course, right on the edge of my tongue. That's 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 so sad that they named all of these weapons and they didn't name Sifs. Like, I know it. It really irritates mm-hmm. me that they said, "Oh, she's just got a sword and shield. She gets two things, so we don't need to name them." She like, has I, a I, literal I, double-edged sword. Like that should have yeah. a really cool name. <laughs> it absolutely I, should. I now do want to search marketing because I I know that there's a very unfortunate thing that like people don't think that you know action figures of of women or of like their weapons will sell as well and that's often kind of the reason why like people say we don't want to make like a captain marvel movie because most of the money we're going to make is on merchandising and people won't buy it which the number of people i see wearing around in captain marvel shirts kind of proves the lie to that Mm -hmm. but but i like i don't want to go into conspiracy theory but that does make me wonder if again that's why they didn't name it because you know they did name it for the merchandising and they were never planning to sell sell that toy. Well, but I will I say, no idea there. I will say, I'm looking at Thor the the toy for Fandral, and they call it the Harpoon Blade. So, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Ignore everything I just said. So, you know? <laughs> yeah, they might have said, you know, they might have came, come up with all these cool names for the marketing, and then the marketing team said, yeah. you know what, no kid is going to know what you're talking about. Like, let's just call it something like the Harpoon Blade because that's fun for kids. Fimble driver, mm-hmm. like kids won't even know what to say. <laughs> So this is a bit of a tangent, I apologize. But in Star Wars uh, fandom, there was briefly this moment where Boba Fett's ship was being sold with a marketing label of Boba Fett's ship. <laughs> and the ship is actually called Slave One. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Star Wars has actually done a pretty good job of kind of trying to make 
you know, some of the names of things not quite as offensive in some ways. And so some idiot fanboys went crazy and thought, no, 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 they're, they're, it's, it's called Slave One. Why aren't they calling it that? Until someone pointed out that every Boba Fett ship has always been marketed Boba Fett's ship and then maybe Slave One in like italics or something like that. So, you know, maybe not everyone don't at me with the one picture you have, but like it was clearly not what Star Wars was trying to do there. Yeah. Anyway. That rant over. Let's get back to this. <laughs> I, I, I just love this moment from Fandral. I feel like this... We've talked a lot about how the, the Volstag comic book stuff doesn't work. Volstag. This also... Volstag. Keep doing that. This also feels very comic book, but in a way that works so much a lot better, I think. Mm-hmm. Comparisons to Errol Flynn, certainly, but also just comparisons to Dread Pirate Roberts, because the way that that sword, like, lands, it, like, you know, with the tip down mm-hmm. right into the ice, it's, like, straight out of when... Uh, when Dread Pirate Roberts throws his sword and it, it does the yeah. same thing. It's like such a, uh, I don't know. I feel like the odds of getting that done are impossible. And But, it, I mean, it looks cool. And I guess that's why we why we get to see it. Yeah. Do you know, never... do you know off the top of your head um, who the fight coordinator for this movie was? Or like the, the swords person? Uh, the fight choreographer was Gary Ray Stearns, uh, who did all the stunt fighting and everything. Um, as far as like the sword, I, I don't know. The sword trainer and choreographer was Thomas Dupont. Oh, okay. Yeah, is that um, not a name? Not a name that I recognize. I okay. was just curious. Yeah, in case it yeah. was like the same person from Lord of the Rings, that would right. have been yeah quite the coup to have mm-hmm. you on this minute. We could have <laughs> discussed it. <laughs> and I think part of why I love um, Fandral's moment here so much is because we get that great moment of, like, the hero who is just so sure everything is okay again right before he gets stabbed. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's another blink-and-you-miss-it moment, but it's, I, I think they set it up so well, because what happens is not only does Fandral kind of, like, get lost in the moment for a second, but he's clearly, like, you know, he's posing for a second. He's tossing the sword from one hand to the other, turning around without a care in the world, and then this ice sculpture comes out, and the spike goes through his body. Again, he just needs to say, I am not right-handed when he tosses yeah. the sword, I swear. <laughs> Noteworthy also, because I, I made a big deal of it in our last minute, we clearly see, like, red blood on the ice spear that goes yeah. through his body. Right, yeah, we're actually seeing blood, which is almost a surprise that you're seeing it. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. quick shots, but there definitely is blood on this um, this ice spear that kind of shoots up. Um, and and from in the script, it was actually another... Uh, another frost giant who was standing there who had done, done the same thing that uh, the one earlier had done to Sif when he uh, hit the water and shot those ice bullets at her. Ooh. It's the same thing where he kicks the water and freezes it as it goes, and that's what actually created it. I don't know if we needed to see that. I think that it was fine just mm-hmm. doing it the way it was, but mm-hmm. it's interesting that this is something that they're actually doing quite a bit throughout the fight. The most hardcore form of water bending I've ever seen. <laughs> I think it works I think it works better as it is as as it exists in the movie um, because the like like his hero moment is immediately undercut by like oh he's hurt now Um, and we don't see it coming so I I like that and he really shrieks for a long time like you'll hear the shriek of agony I mean it goes for quite a while I would too I'm not judging but still (laughs) it's funny the more I go into in-depth analysis the more I'm like Thor is really awful in this battle because Mm -hmm. I mean he's fighting very well clearly but like his, they didn't talk him into going. Like, he had to talk his friends into this. Mm-hmm. And part of the way he did it was the, like, you know, don't I always take care of you? Yeah. 
And now this feels like he's very much, you know, every Asgardian for himself mm-hmm. because Sif yells at Thor. He completely ignores her. You know, then uh, I think it's Sif who also then says, you know, we must That's go. That's Loki. Loki says we That's must go. That's Loki, yeah. thank you, says we must go. And he just responds, then go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's no concern for his friends. There's no worry about the friend. You know, his friend almost just died and might still die. Not a good look, Thor. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just would like to point out to you, we've been saying that, like, from the beginning of this film, like, Thor is terrible. <laughs> and, I mean, they're really setting up that this this is just a, the biggest bully, the yeah. biggest jerk. Like, he is just not somebody who uh, is should be our hero at this point. And I think it's, though, it's, again, the what you see by analyzing it like this, because the battle all goes so quickly and you're so caught up on it that you don't really figure that out. But like, you know, I mean, you probably get some sign of it, but I feel like I I wasn't really hit by the just how many times Thor fails his friends until this like deep analysis of it we're doing now. He really does. Yeah. And I mean, you I guess you could argue when he says then go. I mean, he does this great throw of Mjolnir, which I love because we get I just call it Mjolnir cam where the camera's like flying along right behind Mjolnir uh, as it's as it's toppling uh, frost giants left and right. I think we hit I from the sound of it, we it's hitting at least a dozen mm-hmm. frost giants as it goes. So, I mean, I guess you could argue this is his way of saying i'm going to help you if you want to go i'm going to throw this i'm going to knock a bunch of frost giants down so that you can start getting back to the bifrost point right i guess i don't even know if he's thinking that far ahead to be honest um i think he's just trying to take as many of of these guys down as possible without like yeah again he like lacks awareness of like the space around him so it's it's I don't know that he's trying to make it out for his friends. I think he's just trying to kill a bunch of frost giants. You're probably yeah, right. I, <laughs> I, I think I have to agree with that. I spent, and I don't want to give away too much of the next minute, but the next minute his friends are going to be in real danger yeah. and he just doesn't care mm-hmm. in the slightest. So it may well be that he thinks that's what he'll tell people. But I think it's just he's just frustrated. He's like. Guys, I brought you to this great party. Everyone's getting blackout drunk. Isn't this fun? Mm-hmm. And all the rest of them are like, no, we don't want to do this. Yeah. And like, well, then fine, go, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is frat boy Thor mm-hmm. with a bunch of his friends who are like, I don't really like this kind of party. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's talk, though, for a minute. We do get that, as you said, that awesome scene of Mjolnir Cam. I kind of mentioned this before, but I think, you know, if, if Mjolnir has like, you know, in the D&D book, it would list three special attacks. This is the second one. You know, now this is the like, it can just go through person after person after person after person after person. Obviously, Mjolnir can travel incredible distances, usually to Thor. Um, but like, what's like, I'm assuming that he has to, you know, put more oomph in it to get it to go the extra mile, right? Uh, I, but I don't know. It's like, at some point, Mjolnir must fall to the ground or stop and return to him. But, like, how how does he judge the distance? Is it all just in how hard he throws it? Because, like, when we see it the first time, when he throws it to, to take out Hailstrom, I mean, it just, it passes Hailstrom, stops, and returns. And now, I mean, it's just going, and, and we never actually see it return. So I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm wondering if Thor and, and Mjolnir have, like, um, a bit of, like, a psychic connection, like... Like mm-hmm. Thor is willing it to go this far, and that's why it's traveling this far. Like, yes, he like hucks it pretty, pretty strong. Like, and he yeah. he is very strong. But like, I'm wondering if it's like also the hammer, um, like like Thor's will on the hammer is making it go as far as it goes. 
you know, that's there's something interesting with that because I mean, I'm I'm looking at the script now, and there's actually this line when he throws it. Mm-hmm. It says, but when he hurls his hammer to take out a Jotun, the Frost Giants seize the opportunity. A group of Jotuns swarm Thor from all sides, keeping him separate from his weapon. Mjolnir falls to the ground. Oh, mm. interesting. So, yeah. So I wonder if there is some sort of psychic energy that he's paying attention to it. And hence, it is just it's plowing forward uh, before he calls it back. But I wonder if when that concentration is broken. Uh, and he hasn't called it back to his hand, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it, it ju- does just mm-hmm. fall. Well, I think, Andy, when we talked with you and Jeff about the comics, weren't we saying that uh, in some in some versions, Mjolnir is kind of semi-sentient? Mm. It, there was something like that, like, um, because, it, well, yeah, because there was that whole comic line where even Odin, like, couldn't get Thor, uh, couldn't get Mjolnir to uh, to communicate anymore and 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 couldn't say who was worthy or not i think it was the one when jane was able to wield it but thor wasn't so yeah it's interesting there must uh, there must be it i mean i that to me that mm-hmm. seems like the only answer although i mean obviously brana didn't decided not to include that so maybe he was trying to not necessarily create those implications at this point in the story yeah uh, and of course, then we get this wonderful shot of Laufey, kind of his eyes are following along. And like, for now, he's been so like, not expressive. And this is almost like a comic level take of like, he's just kind of like, okay, this is, oh, this is bad. Okay, no, this is. And and then, of course, he decides to, you know, strike the ground and free the Yoden beast. I mean, it is interesting. This is a different Laufey that we saw earlier in the film, because in the earlier film, he and Odin, as the two kings, were in the fray, right? They were both fighting and battling and killing people. In this particular case, he really is acting more like the king, like the, I guess you would Mm -hmm. say, the, quote, responsible leader of a battle and watching it so that he could maneuver his pieces where he needed to. And Mm -hmm. so to that end, it's it actually is a pretty interesting um, position that he's put himself in and uh, and yeah i mean he's he's calling out the big guns at this point well especially because i feel like on some level laufey's maintaining plausible deniability you know mm. he i think in some level he's thinking that you know whether or not we defeat these people odin is going to come back and that's where the war is going to really start and I think Laufey is thinking, like if i jump into the fight myself especially if i'm the one to kill thor it's all over uh, but if I can sort of say, like, look, Thor angered my people, they fought back, it was self-defense, I freed the beast because things were getting really out of hand, but, like, I didn't do it, you know, not my fault, it's your idiot kid, mm-hmm. let's not break the peace over this, I-, I feel like that's a very strong argument for him, and all that would be lost if he jumps into the battle, and here again, he's thinking, whereas Thor is just acting. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm becoming a real Laufey stan. Like, the further we go into this. Like, I just, I, I, I really like the guy. Uh, well, I remember, like, he tried to take over all of reality in the first five minutes, and that wasn't so cool. But that's, I, I think that your point is well taken, because I think there's a lot to Laufey that we may not have, even when we were having our initial conversation, we really were calling him the, the mustache-twirling villain of the piece. There wasn't, there didn't seem to right. be as much about him that that made him more complex. But now, as we move along through the film, I'm finding, you know, there's actually more to this character. He's not just this uh, mustache-twirling villain like we had called him originally. There's there's a little more right. uh, to his story. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I like him. Well, especially because, and here I'm reading 
things back into the movie that they did not know when they were making this movie. But the only person who has told us that it was the Frost Giants who attacked everyone and had to be stopped was Odin. Mm -hmm. And in two movies, we're going to learn that Odin's actually been trying, at one point, was trying to take over all of the nine realms Mm -hmm. and has been lying about it ever since. And I wonder if there's a possibility that maybe the Frost Giants never were. Like, I mean, we're going to go conquer everything. And that all was, you know, the the victory, the victors tell the story Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. That, yeah. Very strong point. I, 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 I'm so headcanning I'm into fan fiction here at this point, but you know, it's still kind of a... <laughs> There's no shame in that. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun read of it all. Yeah, right. And then, of course, so we end with just getting this like wonderfully ominous shot of the ice monster. And I just, for me, that image of just its eyes through the ice and like, especially because we talked a while ago about how Thor's cape is one of the only colors we see. It's all like dark blue and gray and, and ice, but his cape... The eyes of the Jotuns are all red, mm-hmm. and here especially the eyes of this beast. And you can kind of see the outline of it through the ice, and then the ice fades. I just, I thought it was such a well-done shot. Yeah, I mean, the, the ice looks a little CG to me, uh, but largely I'm okay with with it. And mm-hmm. and this is, we'll see it in the next minute, but this is the Jotun beast. Also, sometimes it's called the frost beast or the frost creature. There are a number of different names for it, but um, uh, yeah. It, it, right. I, I think that it, it, it goes by all of them. <laughs> right. And as far as I know, I think there were there were often myths that involved the giants having, like, you know, great monsters under their command or things like that. But there was never anything. The Yoden beast itself, I think, is a creation of the comics, not of Norse mythology. Yeah, I couldn't. I didn't find anything about the Jotun, like any sort of creature like this that they had attributed to the realm. Mm-hmm. So. Is um I haven't read very many Thor comics. Is is Loki a Jotun in some of those, or is that just for this movie or the for the movies? No, he is. He's very okay. much uh, Loki Laufeson. It would be his name. So uh, all, uh, so he's very much treated that way in the comics. And at one point, he actually uh, is ruling Jotunheim. Even mm. so, I mean, it's it's right. it's a whole whole thing that they pursue uh, in and out right. of the comics. Interesting. And, yeah. and in the mythology, um, there's not the story at all. Um, he is, one of his parents is a giant, mm-hmm. but so is one of Thor's mm-hmm. parents. So most of the gods are descended from giants and titans and other creatures like that. Yeah, Loki so. is Odin's, not like actual brother, but like his blood brother. Like, aren't they like sworn like by blood or whatever? And he's like Thor's uncle or something in the mythology. In the mythology? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I, the the versions of it that I've read, I, I I read the entire Eddas, both of them, twenty years ago when I was in grad yeah. school. So I don't remember there, and I couldn't find a good translation for this. Uh, I found a good one of the poetic, but not of the prose. Mm-hmm. In the ones I read, they're more like Loki and Thor definitely are not brothers, yeah. because Odin is very much a trickster himself. He kind of respects Loki, mm-hmm. and kind of when all the other gods are frustrated with Loki, he's kind of like, no, we need him around. Yeah. In, in part because I think, like, Odin knows that if then people don't look to him as this awful trickster. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't remember something about burying blood brothers, but I'm by no means an expert. Mm-hmm. So, um, listeners, if you know, please write in and let us know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, a couple other little notes. Uh, as we see the Jotun beast starting to kind of crack out of the ice shell that it's in, I, I assume that it is, I assume it's some sort of hibernation that different beings on Jotun go through. I'm not mm-hmm. exactly sure. 
but um, we do actually, uh, if if we recall from minute twenty, this is at the very head, the the entrance to this central plaza where they have been fighting, and at this particular point, like when Fandral gets uh, stabbed with the ice and everything, all of this is actually out there. So. It's interesting. It's you can't tell from the way that they shoot this, but what ends up becoming clear is that Fandral, Volstagg, Hogan, Loki, and Sif, they have actually been fighting and slowly working their way out of the central plaza. Like they're actively right. saying, Okay, we're gonna fight, but we're slowly kind of working our way out of this trap that we're basically in here. Mm-hmm. Whereas Thor, he's just in the middle of the plaza and he doesn't care. He's just, you know, yeah. spinning in circles, hitting everybody that's around him. Yeah, the next minute especially is really going to show that the beast is coming out between the two of them. Yeah. With Thor behind it and all them in front of it. Yep. Yep. Do you think the beast is Laufey's pet? Like, is he is he like the Cerberus? Like, is he this big, big guard dog and Laufey's about to be really sad about it? <laughs> <laughs> that's a... <laughs> An awful thing to now be thinking about. You're welcome. Oh my God. <laughs> well, yeah, like I'm trying. I'm trying hard not to root for the frost giants, but now, like, <laughs> well, we do know that it's it's. I, I guess there are at least two of them because we will see another one pop up in in the dark world. Oh um, yeah. So so uh, you know, I I don't know. I I was joking a few minutes ago about like how quiet this planet is and how like maybe behind uh Utgard Hall there is a pasture where you know they have some some Jotun farmers or ranchers who are raising Jotun beasts <laughs> out in the out in the pasture or something. Like right. it's like, you know, where are all of the people on on this uh all of the Jotuns on the planet? It's mm-hmm. it's so quiet and desolate. But maybe they're just all frozen in hibernation. I don't know. But it's uh, I don't like thinking of it as his, his, uh, pet? As his yeah. pet, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a <laughs> maybe. you know a, a cousin somehow of the uh, the the Chitauri beasts that get mm. armored and are also sort of like huge. Those fly, and this one just kind of runs across the ice. But who knows? Yeah. Anyway, I think we're getting into the silly moments. So, are we about ready to uh, wrap up here? Any other last comments? I think I'm uh, good. I I think yeah, I'm good. Cool. Well, thank you as always so much, uh, Cass. For those who maybe are kind of tuning in late, just kind of give folks a quick rundown. Where can they Where can they find you? I am part of a uh, podcast network called DuelingGenre.com. I co-host uh, the now completed Lord of the Rings Minute, um, as well as uh, a host of other shows, um, which you can find again at DuelingGenre.com. Well, thank you so much uh, to our listeners. Definitely check all those out. Uh, and thank you so much to you, Cass, and to Andy, and to all of our listeners. Thank you all for being great supporters of this podcast project and continuing to stick with us through this great exploration of the movie. And so I hope you enjoyed this, and have a nice day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 